Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 10, Questions and Answers. As always, my name is Jeremy, and I will be your host. Today, I will be answering all of the questions you guys asked on Instagram prior to recording this episode. This will be something we plan to do every 10 episodes, as we want to hear from all of our podcast and social media supporters. With that, I'd like to thank all of you for listening and your continuous support. So, let's begin. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Strength in numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and What is going on, guys? Welcome to the podcast. We've made it. We've made it all the way to 10 episodes, and we are still going strong. Like I said in the intro, guys, I really want to thank all of you guys for continuing to listen, continuing to support us, not here, just here on the podcast, uh, but on social media, specifically stuff like Instagram. You know, we keep fighting the bands and we keep coming back. Um, and, you know, I see a lot of the same faces over and over again. Um, and I just want to thank all of you guys for that kind of support, especially the guys that continuously share my content, um, you know, give me the shout outs and, you know, have helped me along the way. You guys are the best. So today we're going to be taking a little play out of the Undesirable Individuals podcast book. Uh, shout out to Max and Tanner. We're going to be doing some questions and answers. And for this one today, uh, I'm just by myself and I have not done a podcast episode by myself since the very first episode that we did. So this may be a little bit more awkward than some of our other podcast episodes. It's a lot easier when you have somebody else you're talking to because normally you don't have to, you know, talk the entire time. You don't go down rabbit holes. You kind of get breaks and pauses to think and whatnot. Um, but today, you know, we're just going to we're just gonna shoot from the hip see where this goes. As a kind of a general talking point, before we get into the questions, I kind of wanted to update everybody about, you know, what the company's doing, you know, how have we been, what's our, what's on our minds, all that kind of stuff. Because we're coming up on our one-year anniversary of, you know, being a, you know, officially a company. I say we a lot, even though there's really only me and a couple other guys behind the scenes um, that either help me with classes or content or stuff like that. Um, but I want to give everybody a little update. I'll definitely do a more official YouTube video once we get closer to the one-year mark. Uh, but this felt like an appropriate time to give everybody kind of updates. So the first thing I kind of want to talk about was social media. Obviously, I have been fighting social media hard. Not only have we lost the business account three times in 2022, um, I myself have lost all of my personal followers from my Bluegrass account. Um, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and friends that I've never been able to refine and, you know, content that I've made lost and so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's definitely difficult and I'm not the only one that has to deal with this. And it seems like a lot of us aren't even posting content that seems extreme or is not right for Instagram. I think at this point, a lot of us are kind of just caught up in an algorithm ban, um, or something to do with, you know, our geolocations and something like that. Cause I've changed, you know, complete routers and modems for my Wi-Fi here at home and I've changed devices and so on and so forth yet we just continue to get kind of trapped into things um, so I'm doing a couple things new on my end to hopefully 
escape that constant circle of fans that we've been stuck in this year, which, which really sucks. Um, but hopefully we can move past that. As far as products and classes go, guys, because I get a lot of messages about this kind of stuff, um, as a general reminder, we do the Minuteman patches, both the old and the modern. We have, you know, various apparel items, which we will be coming out with something new here right at uh, the beginning of fall. Uh, and then we have the IFAX. You know, we had the plans for the IFAX pluses at the beginning of the year, but unfortunately, um, you know, I tried to do something good and work with a, a small business guy to get these pouches because we were I had designed custom pouches for these IFAC plus materials you know these things I had made up and uh, you know he fell through on that and he kind of left us in the dirt and that, that project kind of got left behind but we still have our normal trauma IFACs that we have made with um, partnering with North American Rescue comes vacuum sealed all that kind of good stuff so we still have those and we recently got a new shipment of those. So we have lots of IFACs in stock as of the time of this recording. So, you know, with that being said, yeah, I have some ideas for products and whatnot, but there's a lot of things that go into that that a lot of people don't think about. Not only is money a factor, and trust me, money is a factor, um, but so is finding either people A, to produce your item and the logistics behind that, or you purchasing you know, set equipment to create said product and, you know, trial and error and, and all of this kind of stuff. So it is a very long process. And that's why I didn't move forward with the original IFAC pluses because yeah, I got a bunch of pouches, but they weren't, they weren't good. They, they weren't identical. They weren't to spec on how we designed them and the prototypes that we had gone through and so on and so forth. And, you know, I don't think it is right to just push a product to try to make money. You know, it's not why we're here, whether it's, you know, our social media content, products, classes, all of this is, is made to be a true difference in a sense. We're not, we're not out here to just make money. We're trying to change culture and influence, you know, movement forward and so on and so forth. And, you know, being cheap and stuff like that is not the way forward with all that. So will there be more products in the future? Maybe, maybe not. If there's a gap in the market, we can fill it, you know, we'll do so. But there's a lot of companies doing a lot of good stuff right now. Um, and I just don't see us being heavy on the product side. Um, the product side of stuff, you know, really heavily helps us with either getting stuff to create better social media content or, you know, getting stuff to put on classes, which brings me to my next point is the classes. We've done a few of the medical response one classes uh, this summer, which all went well, even though we were fighting constant social media bans every single time we, you know, we posted signups. Like right now, our website link, for whatever reason, including the Linktree link, is not allowed on Instagram. Instagram has banned our website. Our YouTube link is still allowed for some reason, which is why you'll find that in our Instagram bio. Um, but, you know, that hurts stuff. That hurts, you know, people getting to our website and looking at products. That helps. That hurts people trying to find class dates and so on and so forth. Um, but as far as classes go, we've done the medical response one classes this summer, I'm trying to schedule some more for the late fall and the beginning of winter, trying to get outside of my local area um, and kind of span out a little bit more over the region um, so we can hopefully do that. And then come 2023, you know, world events and um, resources in mind, hopefully we will be doing some firearms related classes. Um, Everybody and their mother does firearms classes. Everybody does pistol classes, rifle classes, imaging classes, whatever it may be. Um, 
you know it's just can i provide and you know whatever instructors is doing it with me can we provide an experience a knowledge set a skill that puts us you know sets us aside from what everybody else is already doing because that is the name of the game and this all comes down to all this you're trying to do something better or differently in a positive manner than everybody else is doing it so hopefully next year classes look up a little bit things are getting tight financially for a lot of people um and you know when if and that is just kind of part of the game as well and i'm, I'm sure lots of companies are feeling it right now as far as that kind of stuff goes people don't have two three hundred dollars to go sign up for a you know a 10 hour you know pistol course or a two-day rifle course or whatever it may be um, so we keep that kind of stuff in mind um, a lot of people have told me that i should we should look at uh reevaluating the cost of our medical response one class and that it's worth more for a six-hour class but in my mind you know i'm like this doesn't require a ton of money to run this class it's meaningful information and as it stands right now i want people to have that resource for learning and whatnot is that to say that prices of anything may never change no that's not what i'm saying but you know as it stands i want things to be as affordable and accessible to people as possible um and you know the market times all that kind of stuff that dictates a lot of that so that's kind of what's going on with you know ect right now if you guys haven't noticed yet if you're not over on the youtube side we just started the modern minuteman series we're two episodes into that um, that is basically going to be a long series of covering tons and tons of topics. It'll never end of things that have to do with, you know, creating, training, maintaining the idea of what the modern Minuteman is now. Um, I have probably the next 12 to 15 episodes of that series planned out. It's just a matter of finding the time the resources to do so because i want it to be a well put together series and i'm going to try to get other people in on the youtube channel as guests to help me present a lot of that information or bring other pieces of gear or weapons or whatever it may be to the table so everybody can you know get a taste of different things so that's what's going on, on the ect front guys let's dive into these questions because we are about uh, 10 minutes in now and i've just been running my mouth so we've got somewhere between 15, 20 questions to answer here. So the very first question uh, is planning food for organized groups and Minutemen. So that kind of can get broken down into two parts. When you think about organized groups, that could be family preparedness groups, mutual assistance groups, or otherwise known as MAGs, stuff like that. And then you look at the Minutemen and that could be something entirely different. You know, all MAGs could be Minutemen, but not all I'm sorry, all Minutemen could be mags, but not all mags are Minutemen. Um, so let's break this down into two sides of this. On the preparedness side, guys, there this is a, a never-ending cycle of tasks to be completed. But, you know, with the prepper side, you have dry food storage, you have canned goods in your short, in your short shelf life goods, you have stuff in your freezers like meat, cheese, butters, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we could talk about preparedness and food for probably two or three hours we really could um, we have some youtube videos up on our youtube channel about different food preparedness stuff um, 
But on the Minuteman side, it's a little different because you're not able to just, you know, maybe openly cook in a field or anything like that. You need more MRE-style foods in some cases. Not all, but in some cases, if you're thinking like a response-type case. Um, but not necessarily MREs. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to go to any store and get like the Uncle Ben's rice, the packs of tuna or chicken, and then get things like granola bars, cliff bars, whatever that may be, classics, side stuff that is, you know, very heavily calorie dense. Put all that in a big Ziploc baggie with condiments like little salt and pepper packets, hot sauce, silverware, whatever it may, it may be if you don't run like normal metal, titanium, whatever spork in the field and then i get all of the air out of that or you could vacuum seal it and now you have not as long as of a shelf life as mres are but you have meals that require little to no preparation that you can eat and that is a cheaper way of doing backpack food than buying mres you know another route you have is freeze-dried foods freeze-dried foods only require boiling water and some say you know you can just do it without boiling water but that still requires a lot of water to prepare that food freeze-dried food is very light i love freeze-dried foods and there's a lot of meals that i personally like and i've had a lot of different uh, flavors meals so on and so forth so the mountain house is is my favorite brand as it stands right now however that's kind of stuff can get expensive so let's talk about the actual planning portion of the food you know you need to sit down and create a plan just like you would for anything else all right how many people do I have? What is the time frame I am trying to sustain this group of people at? What is the age differences? What is, you know, X, Y, Z, all of this. Now, when it comes to planning that kind of stuff, I always plan when it comes to food preparedness on the basis of a general military age male. Um, you know, some guys are like, oh, my seven-year-old daughter won't eat 2,500 calories today. No, she won't. But if you plan everybody to be a military-age meal, you may always have enough food or more food than you really need. So you analyze your group, ages, you know how many people, so on and so forth. How long do you need to sustain those people for? Are you planning to sustain the, that group of people for 30 days, 3 months, 3 years? What other factors do you have you know, into it? Do guys have gardens? Or do you have homesteaders? Do you guys have chickens and eggs? pigs, whatever it may be. Um, and that's another part of it is all of your food coming from shelf food, dried food, packaged food. Are you gardening? Do you have active, uh, you know, canned, uh, canned food like mason jar style that you got from the year or vegetables that you may have vacuum sealed and froze? Are you getting eggs every day for chickens? All this kind of stuff is going to go into that. Um, and again, we can talk about that for hours. But you need to sit down and plan all of that around your specific circumstances. I can't sit up here and be like, this is what you need for this amount of days for this many people. It's going to vary so much person to person because there's so many contributing factors. Um, maybe that will be, that'll definitely be a, a video in the series. It's not one that's planned at the moment, but that'll be a Minuteman series video for sure. Another question, thoughts on large scale mesh radio networks is this a good idea for militias militias shout out to you max that's a good question so the thing you have to remember with radios um and then this is really you know militias aside is what type of comms you're operating on will heavily depend uh, will heavily dictate this answer if your group runs all analog radios whether it's baofengs or not baofengs 
your security side of all of this is pretty much in the toilet. Anybody can hear you, even without a scanner. You know, you can be found, you can be listened to, so on and so forth. Um, you can listen to everybody else and find everybody else as well, sure. But you have to take security into the aspect of this. Um, the other part about this is infrastructure. You know, what type of radios are we talking about? Are we talking about everybody has VHF radios or UHF radios? you know, on their kit and everybody's programmed to the same frequencies, same encryption if you're on like the digital side and you're encrypting and whatnot. Or we're talking about HF radios and everybody has ham stations set up in their house, so on and so forth. So that is definitely going to be a, be a big one as far as it, as far as it goes for like the militia side, absolutely. Or the Minutemen, the more organized community response groups, whatever you, you identify yourself as. Um, I think using the word network is extremely important because that is what you're doing. You're creating a network, a comms network, which comes with a comms plan, which comes with OPSEC and so on and so forth. Um, in reality, if we lose power, cell towers go down in your region, whatever it may be, natural disaster, Russians are here, whatever government's you know smacking you on the rear end because you didn't listen to COVID policies, whatever it is, um, having radios that do not run on your normal house electric will provide you and everybody in your group with the ability to continue to communicate so long as you have that network and those capabilities and that infrastructure established prior to it's one thing to get all of that gear put it in a tub somewhere and be like yep whenever things happen we'll set this up but having it you know pre-staged if possible or practice setting that stuff up on a normal basis is going to be huge. Um, the other thing you got to think about is cost. <sighs> Drink your water, kids. Uh, the other thing you got to think about that is cost, because radio equipment can get really expensive really fast outside of you know a personal handheld radio. Because um, when I talk about infrastructure, that may mean you know antenna systems and scanners. That may be tough books that run programs to you know help you operate and set up all these radios and there's just a lot of stuff that goes into that um oop, sorry guys that's a my pager for the firehouse that's decided to go absolutely nuts there's a fire odor anyway um yeah so there, there's a, a big cost sense that is going to go into all that so that's just something you have to consider but definitely create networks of comms so on and so forth everybody starts you know analog on the balf again so on and so forth um, but eventually you need to move forward off of that. Um, let's see, alternative transportation methods. So this is a good one because in today's day and age, this is not as practical in my mind as a lot of people may think. Everybody always thinks that they're going to find a bunch of horses, a bunch of donkeys, mules, whatever it is, don't ride donkeys, get mules, um, and, and, you know, just start cowboying it up and run across the hills, or everybody's going to ride bicycles everywhere, or so on and so forth. Um, if you're not in cars, trucks, anything like that, runs off gas or diesel, more than likely you're not going anywhere. You know, if you're a network of guys and you live, you know, in the mountains in Wyoming and whatnot, and you're all cowboys, yeah, you could probably do something like that. Uh, but you and your, you know, suburban friends are not going to just randomly acquire horses and 
understands anything that has to do with, you know, horsemanship or, or packing or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, let alone are, are horses going to be, um, or mules going to be fit and capable to do what you think that they're going to do. You're not just going to ride 15, 20 miles every single day running ops while they're carrying hundreds of pounds of gear and you and all that kind of stuff. Um, me and old Willard, Squibble Tactical, we talked about that a couple of podcast episodes back towards the beginning. Um, horses and mules are, are not what they once were. Um, you know, they, just like everything else, have become weaker generation to generation uh, through breeding. Are there some horses that still kick it like the old ones? Yes, but the majority of horses, no. Then you got bikes. Let's talk about bicycles. Um, bicycles also are not going to do what you think they can do. What they can do, like you're not going to get on a bike in full kit with your rifle and you know just expect to ride 15, 20, 30 miles every day. Yeah, that's going to be extremely. Uh, physically exhausting, especially if you are not conditioned to ride a bike. Could it be done riding a bike? Sure. But I think about my area, Kentucky, I mean, it's just hollers and hills everywhere. And you're really not taking those bikes off, uh, off-road, especially if it's not an off-road bike. So alternative transportation methods is, is an iffy one if we're not talking about, talking about gas and diesel. Um, there wasn't a lot more context with this question. Um, I'm trying to think of other ways to think about alternative transportation methods. Yeah, if it don't run, if it runs, if it don't run on gas or diesel, I can't think of anything else besides horses and bicycles that people would even commonly consider a transportation method. Uh, you're going to be doing a lot of walking. Everybody doesn't realize how much walking you're about to start doing if you ever get into a situation like this. Um, this is also just a good note to remind you that you need to put fuel cans to the side. I don't suggest that you put 45-gallon gas cans in your garage and stack them to the ceiling. That That is not safe. Um, but, you know, having at least a tank's worth of gas off to the side um, in your garage safely stored is a good thing to have. If your personal rule is always to have your, you know, your vehicle never fall below a quarter tank or a half tank, and you have a full tank of gas at home, you're sitting pretty good when it comes to, you know, bad stuff kicking off, you know, SHTF, whatever it may be, you're already sitting ahead of the curve. Um, so keep that in mind. How to remain low presence on the internet, but remain effective. I feel like whoever asked this, I asked for context. Um, I'm going to answer this how I take this because I, I never went back through and added the context to this question. Uh, when I think low presence, I think, you know, avoiding the algorithm bans or maybe even officials from noticing you and all that kind of stuff. And, and honestly, it's kind of hard at this point in time to not to be an to be an attention getter because everything trips algorithms these days. The, the entire internet is regulated by algorithms in, in one way or another. But you know, just as everybody always does, you have to be able to continue to push messages and the propaganda and all that kind of stuff that promotes you in a sense. So you know, avoiding hashtags, maybe certain words. 
so on and so forth will help with that. But even like your images and videos that you put up now, that stuff is scanned by bots and algorithms that, you know, do all types of weird computer work behind the scenes. So it's it's really hard to to keep a low presence on the internet while doing while doing things to influence others, I should say. It's just it's just it's hard to do these days. Any networking with other local groups, contingency plans? So this is something my local guys we've been trying to do more as of recent is reach out to other local groups. Back in the day, um, I say back in the day, like two years ago, we had a couple other little local groups that were around us that we talked with on a normal basis, but they have since faded. Um, Without being, you know, too specific, there are other, I would say, more regional or outside regional groups that we're trying to become associated with, but nothing is, we are not officially associated or networking with any other groups at this point but it's definitely something you should do and you should have you know some sort of um relationship established with other groups specifically those outside of your immediate area um because that will benefit you in the long term let's even just think about like a natural disaster response at this point let's say you live on the east side of arkansas and there's a natural disaster on the west side of arkansas and you guys want to go help but you know absolutely nothing about western arkansas you don't know any of the people there you don't know what the situation looks like on the ground so on and so forth how are you truly supposed to be able to go help with absolutely no information because packing up a vehicle full of supplies and just blindly driving into stuff is not always the the most operationally sound thing to do but you have networked with a group of guys that you know does operate out of western arkansas they've sent you pictures they've said hey this is where the damage is the worst these are the things that people need you know, since we're a local crew, we're going to set up here. Do you guys want to come meet us? Um, and we can work together, do blah, 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 blah. That is good networking. Um, and having, you know, that idea in mind between group leaderships is good prior to um, anything actually happening. The other thing you got to be wary about is you don't want to go from caring about your community and your immediate region to becoming a national network some people like that idea some people don't i i I think movements and culture change and so on and so forth dies specifically with you know those of us that align with the listeners the majority of you listeners um national movements die because people do dumb stuff um you get infiltrated easier so on and so forth and, and things die off keeping things small local purpose driven close-knit community that is what will make the difference in the long run everybody doesn't need to be under this giant national movement with blah 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 following xyz person to do you know whatever care about your community stay local you know do that kind of stuff don't don't get too big and don't chase numbers like ah we've only got 12 guys locally but if we merge with this other group we'll be up over 30 guys now and so don't worry about that kind of stuff don't worry about that kind of stuff Prior planning and usage of ground stashes, supply lines, etc., etc. So this is another good one. And I think in today's day and age, people always think of ground stashes as being you going into the middle of the woods and putting a 50-gallon drum in the ground and filling it full of stuff. That doesn't have to be how it is. You could have other family members or friends that have agreed to let you, you know, stack two or three tubs worth of supplies at their house, which is different from yours. You and your buddies could, you know, 
come in together on two or three storage lockers throughout your region and stash supplies in various storage lockers or small small storage lockers you know all of that kind of stuff you can you can stage supplies gear whatever it may be in multiple places you don't have to go out into the, into the woods and dig a hole in the ground but you should definitely have supplies in, in more places than one and contingency plans for that kind of stuff and how you may get to that. I can't get to this stash because XYZ happened or I'm running from XYZ. So I need to go to ABC and retrieve whatever it is. You should definitely do that as an individual and then even as a group um, or even if the group plan is the individual's plans, you know, whatever it may be. But you should definitely keep supplies in, in multiple places. How do we know when it's time? You know, this is, well, I guess the question would be, what, well, when is what it's time? What is the event you're looking for that is going to reach a certain time? Are you looking for some glorious, you know, revolution fantasy? Are you looking for SHTF and the grid goes down? You know, the Russians nuke us, so on and so forth, whatever it may be. Um, this is a question you you just can't answer. Um, I've talked to a couple guys on Instagram about this in the past, is that people's idea of how the world will fall apart or what events it will do or, or what the world will be like specifically after it ends, because people are always like, oh, when the world falls apart, you need this, this, and this, because this is going to happen. Like We don't know what's going to happen. One is that the world doesn't end just the world as you know it ends the world has been ending time and time again for thousands of years just a new world comes of it later so it's it's not the end of civilization this isn't the walking dead but with that being said you know you have to th think that everything that's happened throughout history has occurred slowly over time and i think that's a big thing that a lot of people get caught up in when you try to awaken people to the problems of the world or what's going on is people look around and they're like, oh, I've got, you know, my, my power's on at my house. I can go to Buffalo Wild Wings to get wings on Wednesday and so on and so forth. Like, the world's fine. I don't get why everybody's freaking out. And the reality is that no empire has ever fallen overnight. Rome wasn't built in the day. Rome didn't fall in a day. You know, the collapse of societies, we know it, the social norms, the economy, so on and so forth, is a very slow degrading or building process. And I think the time the times we've been in probably since 2011, 2012, maybe a little earlier than that, it, depending on the context, we can go back even further than that, that the, the normals of the world is slowly falling apart. You know, during uh, the Obama administration, BLM kind of came to rise and Antifa came to rise too with a lot of that. It kind of came from the Occupy Wall Street movement. Um, and we started to see the initial steps of what would be uh, the far left violence during those times, like especially in Ferguson, Missouri, if everybody remembers that. We saw that during the Obama administration. And then we saw, you know, those guys um, the, on, on the far right stand up at uh, Bunkerville, Nevada, at the Bundy Ranch, again, during the Obama presidency, and then later at the uh, Oregon uh, refugee, the wildlife refugee, later, I believe that was 20, 
the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. Then President Trump took over. We saw you know movements like the Proud Boys. Antifa got huge during the Trump presidency. BLM grew even more. And you know, now we've got all of these left-wing, right-wing armed groups doing all of this stuff. And things continue to get worse. But everyone's like, oh, it's okay. You know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then we had COVID. Then we had the summer of love, the BLM riots. And now you know we have Russia, Ukraine. And events pile up. And one thing I tell a lot of people right now is that the reason we don't feel the effect as much as the rest of the world right now in the U.S. is because, in reality, corporations are just outbidding smaller countries, corporations, or host networks, or whatever it is, for resources and supplies. You know, we are beating out third world countries and now even first world countries for stuff because we have more money and we have the power in the world. Whenever those resources become even drier or cease to exist at all, the U.S. will begin to feel those effects. I mean, even look at the in Europe right now. They were extremely dependent on natural gas and oil and all that kind of stuff from Russia. And now they're going to have a really, really unfortunate winter. People don't realize how bad it is in Europe right now. They may not be, you know, fighting in the streets at the moment and eating their neighbor's dog and all this kind of stuff at this point. The price of power, like electric bills, in a, a large majority of European countries have, have gone up like two to 400% over the past year. Imagine paying 200% more for your power bill right now. On top of everything else also exponentially becoming more expensive than it already is. So, you know, those kinds of things slowly add up over time and i remember saying it probably at the beginning of 2022 right before russia invaded ukraine i was like all these little third world countries are really starting to act up and whatnot and you know governments were falling apart and supplies was running out and i was like this is eventually going to catch up to more people and then it kind of caught on to the more nicer countries on the on the lower first end world side you know sri lanka and stuff like that and i was like starting to catch up with people and you started to see a lot of countries in like South America start these heavily, you know, left first right political battles. And they started to run out of resources and whatnot. Argentina, um, you know, all of these places, violence, so on and so forth, starting to catch up with us. Now, you know, we've got Armenia and, uh, oh, God, I'm not going to remember how to pronounce it, this name. Um, Azbarjan? Azbarjan? Azerbaijan, maybe. The two A's are fighting each other now. You've got the, the issues between Kosovo and Serbia right now. Russia is still fighting Ukraine. You know, we have the Taiwan-China thing. You know, tensions are, are rising. So this is something we all have to be aware of and realize that it ain't going to get better anytime soon. Just like it didn't all fall apart overnight. So, when it's time... Who knows? You'll know when it's time. If you're a, if you're a man of principle, and you are aware and you are prepared, regardless of whatever that event is and whatever event is to follow, you'll know when the time is time. Which brings us to the next question by the same guy, my boy Tyler. What do you do after it's time? Well, we're not trying to survive. We're trying to thrive. That's from Bear at Bear Independent. Um. Your family, 
will always be the number one priority. And then the families of those in your network are the next priority and so on and so forth. And it continues to go more. It, it's, it's kind of like a chain. You take care of your family. All right, my family's taken care of. So now I can help take care of my buddy's families. All right, my buddy's families are taken care of and my family's taken care of. What can I do now? Now I can help my community, so on and so forth. But you can't get to that community level and so and everything that goes along with that without taking care of those other two first, which goes goes back to preparing now to you know provide for all of them. But what do you do after it's time? This depends. Are you on the run from a tyrannical government? <coughs> U.S. Um, are you fighting against the socialists that have started a revolution or whatever? You know, what people want to talk about, if it's time or not, fighting, war, all that kind of stuff. War sucks. Wars devastate societies. They devastate families. People don't realize, like, how much death will truly come from a conflict on U.S. soil. Specifically if it's U.S. versus U.S. Um, And I think that's something we all really need to let sit with us when we think about this kind of stuff. Is that it has to be an absolute last option, regardless of, of whoever the said enemy is and whoever you may align yourself with. You need, you need to know that there is no other option in life before doing that. And that's not to say that it's never the right answer. I mean, sometimes standing up for your principle through those physical means is the answer. And that's been a reality throughout all of history. But with that being said, um, what do you do after it's time? You better get real used to, you know, sleeping in fighting holes, not having showers, so on and so forth. Everybody has, seems to have this rea- seems to have this fantasy that, you know, you're just gonna go fight, you know, far left militants in the streets from you know, nine to five. Then you're gonna come home at night and you know chill with your kids and you know tend to your garden and do all this kind of stuff like. The, that is not a, a, a real reality depending on the, the side that you take, though, given the way that this question is phrased. And, you know, I'm picking up the, the context clues. Um, life is going to suck. Life is going to suck. Life's going to be uncomfortable, and you better get used to it being uncomfortable. Um, which kind of brings us into the next question, which is the long game escaping to the woods and the mountains, or is it taking back your home? And I think that no matter what, as a man, as a young man of principle and community so on and so forth it is always your responsibility to fight for your family your culture your principle and your home um, whatever that may be if the best way to do that is to run away to the woods and, and act like nothing in the world is going on and avoid those problems then if that's what you see in your mind then so be it um, but me in my, my sense you know in order to ensure a positive future for my family, my kids, whatever it may be. You have to be able to stand up for what you believe and defend your home. You have to. That's been a reality throughout a lot of history. Um, good men and women have to stand up and sacrifices are made. A lot of sacrifices are made. We look back to the Revolutionary War. You know, there were many founding fathers um, those that signed the original Declaration of Independence that were captured, tortured, hung, you know, families executed, those that weren't executed had their homes burned, their riches and estates taken away from them, so on and so forth, and, and you know, lost everything. 
you know, standing for principle doesn't come without cost. You have to be willing to pay that bill when the time comes. For whatever it may be. Um, now, if you live in a completely just, let's say, liberal city, like you just like you live in downtown L.A. for whatever reason it is. Don't know why you're in downtown L.A., but if you're in downtown L.A. and you don't align with the 99% of people that live in that kind of area. You know, if... Sorry, it's late at night when I'm recording this. If it's, you know, we hit SHTF and there's panic and a societal breakdown and whatnot, is it smart for you to stay there and try to fight for your home? No. Get the hell out of there. That, that That's not your... You may think of that as your home, but the people there want you dead. Um, so you got to get the hell out of there. And there, there has to be a sense of reasonability to all of this. Um, if you live in an area where fighting for your home is not an option because it's you versus 99% of the people that live in that area, well, that's a no-brainer. Go go find people that you know you align with and that share the same uh, you know sense of principle that you do and, and figure that out later. Um, maybe you're all by yourself and you have three kids and a wife, whatever that may be. You never created a network or you can never find a network, whatever that may be. Yeah. Staying and fighting may not be the best idea, at least not at the initial that initial point in time. You probably need to get your family out of there. Then maybe in the future something organizes, you go join, blah, blah, blah. Now you fight for your home. So as, as philosophical and whatnot as we may want to talk about this, there is a sense of reality to all of this that you do have to keep in mind. Sustainment, hunting, and cooking gear in Ruck. So this is a big one because you, we are, when you think of yourself as a civilian, whether you're in the Minuteman side of this or the community response side, or you're just a prepper, you can only carry so much food in your ruck. And if you're living out of your ruck, you're more than likely don't, you're not around your large stashes of food that you had prior to things going bad and why you're now living out of a ruck in the middle of the woods. So sustainment, um, gear and hunting gear and stuff like that is, is, is important. I personally keep fishing sets in my big pack, my sustainment pack, a ton of fishing line, this little box with a bunch of hooks, sinkers, little things like that. Um, and I used to keep this little old thing of catfish bait in there. Um, but I've since taken that out because you can find tons of grubs, worms, bugs, you know, roadkill, tear off some meat, and you do plenty of that kind of stuff to go buy, to go you know, catch bluegill on the side of a lake, maybe catch a catfish, catch a bass, whatever it may be. But I like to keep a little fishing kit in my sustainment gear. Um, hunting is somewhat of an option. Um, if you're living out of your ruck in the middle of the woods, more than likely a lot of people have hunted food to damn near extinction. And I think that's a lot. That's something that a lot of people don't think about is that Everybody says they're going to go hunt, fish their way into prosperity, but in reality, that is not a that is not a reality. You know, during following the Great Depression, white-tailed deer and turkey in the United States were damn near hunted to extinction. So, you got to keep all that kind of stuff in mind. Um, as far as cooking gear goes, definitely have cooking gear. Um, in my you know my normal patrol or assault bag, my twenty-four hour bag, I have just like my canteen cup and stuff like that. In the winter, I put my collapsible stove in there. Um, but in my big sustainment pack, I keep like an extended cooking kit, which has like some 
some more seasonings and stuff like that. And I also have this little collapsible grill thing that goes in there. Uh, I have an actual plate, like a single, you know, plastic plate and bowl that I use. Um, is it more stuff to keep in a ruck? Yeah, but I, I like to think if I'm living out of that ruck and at that point I'm eating whatever I have foraged, hunted, or caught, you know, on said fishing line, um, you're, you're going to want to try to spice it up a little bit because food in the field equals morale. Anybody that's spent times on deployment or even just in the field in general um, knows how big of a morale changer food is, specifically uh, food that tastes good or food that's warm. Um, people used to knock me for it all the time. People, I, I would always use my heater whenever possible when I was in the Marine Corps. And people would be like, why, why are you going through all that extra effort? Blah, 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 blah. And to me, just eating that warm meal, just sitting there, disgusting, haven't washed my hands in like, you know, whatever it is, 10 days because I've been out in the field, you know, doing X, Y, Z, you know, whatever it is, just eating that warm meal was nice. Yeah, that I have to sit there for 10 minutes or whatever um, and, and wait for that to get warm, whether you know, I was near a fighting hole or I was, you know, near my tent or next to a Humvee or whatever it might have been. Warm food was good. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff, definitely put that kind of stuff in a ruck. You know, the scale at which you do so will be completely up to you. Um, if your ruck is more wrapped around the sustainment of survival and not the sustainment of necessarily like a fighting aspect, um, you're going to have a lot more room or have be able to carry a lot more um, weight and that kind of stuff. But if you are carrying, you know, 12 loaded magazines in your ruck to support the chest rig that you're already wearing, obviously, you know, priorities start to take, you know, okay, maybe I can't put this piece of cooking equipment in my ruck because I have so much weight already in magazines. So something to consider. Um, you know, snare kits and other stuff like that is also good to keep in a ruck, again, so long as small game is still an option. Um, integrating tradecraft into the stuff to learn pile. I, if I remember correctly for the context about this, it is like those that have skills in your group, whether it be like welding, mechanics, anything like that, integrating it into a training schedule or like a learning pile for your network guys. So this is something I try to do a lot with my local guys is integrate skills that other guys may know um, into our normal training schedule. Like for instance, we have a guy that is just our absolute car junkie and he has put on a couple classes about uh, vehicle recoveries and you know, the framework of vehicles and all that kind of stuff. We've got a guy that did a fitness and nutrition class. We had one of our guys do a gardening class, so on and so forth, you know, you should be doing more than just the high speed, low drag kind of stuff. If, you know, a guy in the group is really good at, you know, welding, teach the other guys how to weld. You know, I mean, there's there's so many skills to have and the more people know, the better. So, you know, if, if there's a lot of things you guys have to cover, you know, have, you know, one guy, one time a month, you guys are going to do something that's not firearms tactics survival related it's just going to be a general skill a trade whatever that may be um, and have those guys try to create some sort of source learning material 
for that kind of stuff, whether it's a PDF document, a PowerPoint, whatever it is, and keep that and put that into a bank of knowledge, a little library, and keep a ton of files on that kind of stuff. That will only help you, you know, with learning content later for new guys or sustainment training, whatever that may be. Thoughts on teaching USMC tactics to my local guys over other doctrines or organizations. So with this, um, I think it's I think it's a good idea. I don't see why not. It's always commonly debated, you know, Army doctrine versus USMC doctrine, or you know, some guys like foreign doctrine, whatever it may be. And, and here's what I always tell people is, if you, as the leader of a group or a main instructor of the group, is knowledgeable on you know Marine Corps tactics and Marine Corps doctrine and Marine Corps SOPs, then teach that to your guys because instead of you trying to read a book that you're not familiar with and resuscitate that to your guys or having them do it, you have firsthand knowledge and experience on that. And that is going to be much easier for you to teach to your guys instead of you just, you know, winging new stuff. Um, teach what you know. If what you know works, you know, do so. Don't come up with bullshit to make it seem like you know more or to fill gaps because, you know, I may not have, you know, experience doing this, but I'm sure I can come up with something, you know, admit if you don't know something, if you don't know something, then yeah, look for, look for ways to fill that kind of gap. But, you know, if there's nothing wrong with USMC tactics or anything like that in comparison to anything else, um, guys will nitpick and argue all day, you know, this versus that, and, you know, 13 man squads to 11 man squad and all that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't really matter. That kind of stuff does not matter. If it works for you and things have been adapted to your group, your organization, then, you know, so be it. And another thing with that, guys, is and I talked about this in part one of the Modern Minuteman series on YouTube, is that, you know, doctrine is not necessarily law. You know, how to conduct an ambush. Like, okay, that's that's a fairly, that's something you're going to want to stick to the know-hows of how to do that. But, you know, as far as like creating other SOPs, the organizational makeups, jobs and responsibilities, all that kind of stuff, use doctrine and military experience and all that kind of stuff as a guide. But don't be afraid to create or change things to better fit, you know, the problem at hand with your group or how your group is set up or you know, so on and so forth. You know, be diverse, be creative, and be a problem solver. Don't just copy and paste. There's no reason to just copy and paste. Are you guys ever going to stop recreating accounts if you continue to get deleted? No. No, we will not. Um, something absolutely horrible has to go wrong for us to just stop creating social media accounts. Um, I really like creating content in general, just aside from the business. I like creating content and I like, you know, sharing what I'm doing or what I've learned with other people. And, you know, the other sense of that is it's a motivational thing. Um, you know, business, again, business stuff aside, learning content aside, you know, just sharing the experiences and the perspective of, you know, me training with my local guys, you know, when I was allowed to have my bluegrass page, you know, that kind of stuff motivates other people. I've had tons of people message me in the past and be like, you've motivated me to do X, Y, Z, or you got me and my buddies doing this, or 
we learned to do this because we saw it on your page and we did a bunch of research about it, whatever it is. And, and that stuff motivates me as well even more to continue to do this kind of stuff. Um, so no, as, as, as long as I can, I'm going to continue to do social media unless it just comes to the point where I, I can't do it anymore because <laughs> the internet will not allow me to do so. Um, and then last question here, guys, do you have any plans to create more fitness content? So I, as I've said in the past, guys, I am not a certified nutritionist and I am not a, uh, like a certified coach in a sense on the fitness side. I'm just a guy that's lifted with a lot of people, done a lot of things, learned a lot of things. Um, and I try to present it in ways that, you know, help all of you, specifically the guys that aren't, you know, big fitness junkies. You know, if you're, if you're a big fitness junkie, whatever, you're probably following a ton more accounts that have a lot more experience or have a lot more content on fitness than, than we do. Um, but I would like to dive a little bit more into, you know, the kind of avenues of entry or basics or so on and so forth of doing fitness related things and getting into programs and also the tips and kind of stuff like that about remaining, you know, healthy and functional, all that kind of stuff. You know, one video I've been putting off for a while that I really want to make is all about, you know, uh, knee health and sustainment because guys always complain about their knees. And I also used to complain about my knees a lot too. Um, I still do, um, even though I'm young, but I've done and changed a lot of things over the past two years when it comes to my routine that has really built back my health in my knees. And it shows in a lot of the stuff I do specifically, like a lot of the heavy lifting I do, like my squats my knees used to kill me when I when I lifted heavy on squats. I mean, it was brutal. But now I feel good. I feel strong. I feel balanced. So definitely, hopefully, we'll dive into the fitness stuff uh, a little bit more. It's all so much. I got tons of ideas that are just constantly rolling in the head. Um, you know, I try to keep ECT really diverse because I think people um, should be diverse. As a prepared citizen, you should be diverse. You should be fit. You should be well-educated with, you know, small unit tactics and you should be able to garden and you should know how to break down your weapon and the effects of your, um, you know, ammunition choice and its range capabilities and all of this kind of stuff. You should be a diverse individual. You don't have to be a master at any one thing, but you should be, you know, a good practicer of all. So that's kind of my mindset on all of that. Uh, that is all the questions, guys. I think we were just shy of 15 questions on that. There were more than 15 questions, but a lot of the questions um, specifically on like comms and SHTF were fairly similar. So if you asked a question um, and I did not read your question verbatim, it just means that you know your question was similar enough to another person's question. I thought that if I answered one, I would answer the other. Um, so hopefully you guys got some stuff out of this. This went a little smoother than I actually expected it to go. Um, you know, once again, guys, thank you guys for all of the support that you continue to give us. The Over the next, you know, 10 episodes for the podcast, I'm looking to get um, even more guys on. Shout out to all of my guests that I've had through the first 10 episodes. Um, it, it's been awesome. Even the weeks after, you know, I've recorded a podcast episode, guys, still will contact me like, Hey, I just listened to this and this was, you know, a great episode. 
Um, and like I talked about earlier, you know, I want to create that library of information and resources for people to be able to constantly come back and reference or listen to and learn from, so on and so forth. So thank you. Definitely going to continue to push this, get more people on, share more knowledge, more skills, talk about stuff, the full shebang. Like I said, guys, uh, keep an eye out if you're if you know you're local to the Northern Kentucky area, the Cincinnati area, whatever that may be. Be on the lookout for classes. I'll post all that kind of stuff on our social media whenever that kind of stuff um, becomes official. Um, but that's all I've got, guys, for episode ten: questions and answers. As always, guys, I say it time and time again, and I mean it. Train hard, train often. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward no. Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down